Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Binance Podcast. My name is Weijo. I'm the Chief Financial Officer for Binance. So, what I want to do with this show is to spend time talking to specialists, entrepreneurs, scholars, influencers, basically leading people from a variety of industries. Hopefully, through these conversations, we can share insights on how blockchain is changing not just these different industries, but also in changing the world. Here's a quick disclaimer. All opinions expressed by our host and our guests on this podcast are merely their own opinions. They do not imply any endorsements or opinions of their companies. You should not take these opinions as specific investment advice, as you will be solely responsible for your own investment. Hey everyone, uh, this is We. Well, I'm back recording a really, really cool session with、uh, one of my favorite people in, in the crypto industry,、uh, Joyce Yang, who's the founder of Global Coin Research. I met Joyce,、uh, I think, about a couple of months ago, and found out that we're not only like alums, both alums from Harvard, but we're actually both went to the same elementary school in China, and then we both moved to the U.S. Uh, at a really young age, and then I've been basically traversing the、uh, the Pacific Ocean between U.S. and Asia for the last ten years,、uh, doing for her, and about almost twenty years for myself in the financial industry. And we both kind of like joined crypto in the last couple of years. So I'm going to talk to her, give her a little bit chance to talk about her work, and then after that, the second part of the podcast, I think, is what most of us are going to be joining into listening, is basically what the heck happened at the Asia Blockchain Summit in Taipei. Not just、uh, with a lot of heavyweights within our industry speaking there,、uh, in terms of、uh, my boss CZ,、uh, Arthur Hayes from、uh, Bitmax,、uh, the Litecoin Charlie Lee was there, and then also the unseen, still no video footage of yet of the debate between Doctor Doom, Noriel、uh, Rubini, and、uh, and Arthur,、uh, and then also some of the uh, uh, like sick after parties that I heard took taking place there as well. All right, and then I think also Joyce later will have some questions about Binance、uh, from her Twitter fans. All right, Joyce, you want to kick it off and tell me a little bit about、uh, Global Coin, what you guys do, and then we'll go on from there. For sure. Thanks for having me. We、um, so funny story. And my husband's name is also W E I, and、uh, he's from Singapore. So you know, now I have two ways in my life, and、uh, it's good to have two of them. And now I'm technically I'm really more close to you given our shared background. So Global Coin Research, we are a research. An advisory firm that started about two years ago. My background is in finance, primarily in equity research, where I spent five years in Merrill Lynch and another year at CICC, a very Chinese bank, helping folks really in the institutional space understand technology, and also China tech. You know, companies such as Tencent, Alibaba, those are kind of increasingly large heavyweights that everyone around the world are looking to understand more and more of. And global coin research was built on the premise of that cryptocurrency is bringing together a, a, a kind of very global group of folks who cannot underestimate the, the various regions of cryptocurrency activities, and that's specifically focused on Asia. And as you can see from the stats, over 60% of mining in Ethereum and Bitcoin is essentially coming from China. Our largest exchanges, such as Bitmax and Binance. And Hobi and OKX are all coming out of Asia, and a lot of project developments are coming out as well. As people are very enthusiastic about、uh, about this trend, and lastly, of course, uh, retail, uh, the retail markets, which we cannot discount, given that we are still a very large retail 
driven market and 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 this 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 current market picking back up is definitely attributed to a lot of what's going on in Asia. So we provide as a platform information analysis for a lot of English speakers who may not understand Asia as much as they should be. Specifically, we provide them information from translated news as well as actually contextualized analysis that we write and cover on a weekly basis. We're known for our twice a week newsletters that kind of summarizes the top events that are happening around the world. As you can imagine, lots of things happen around the world, but we really kind of succinct it down and make sure that you take you get a big takeaways. And over time, in the last year, we actually also have evolved into an advisory firm as well, given that we have lots of English-speaking projects who want to understand Asia better and want to identify and tap that market. So most recently, we worked with the project Tezos as well as Starkware. They're all mostly technology-oriented and my background. Your clients are mostly, I would say, not from the Asian region, but because I would say all the best actions in crypto are taking place in Asia, you provide that link that connection for your for, for sort of the not non-Asian based people or businesses to understand what's going on. Yep, exactly. So our readers include lots of journalists such as Nathaniel Popper, Laura Shin, um, and investors such as Multicoin and Scalar Capital, and also projects right Coinbase, Facebook, crypto, who all want to understand what's going on in Asia. But to be honest, I think over time now we're also seeing this trend where you know folks in Japan want to learn about what's going on in China. Folks in Singapore want to learn about what's going on in Korea. And, you know, that, that, that is a language gap also. And by kind of providing our product in English, and actually soon we may be rolling it out in Chinese and some other languages, um, we want to make sure that people are aware of, you know, not just in their, what's going on in their own jurisdiction, but also what's outside of it. Yeah, so I'm a subscriber of your newsletter, and they're really helpful sort of like summaries for me to understand what's going on. Because I think one of the things, at least for even for Binance, you know, given that our, our, we, have, we, have, we probably have one of the most, not one of, we probably have the most global businesses amongst all the uh, exchanges. And even us, for me, uh, in, my, in my work, uh, when I try to go out and add on some of the fiat exchanges that we're launching, there's a lot of blind spots from an informational flow perspective. And that comes down to, uh, you know, both language, uh, not just, I think that comes down to not just language, but also um, not knowing what to read and what to trust in different countries and regions yes for sure for sure and honestly i'm learning as well as i'm you know really kind of learning about the different countries and you cannot even discount the smallest countries like philippines and vietnam for example because even though they're small by geographical limitations but you know if you look at sizes by trading volume or technology talent vietnam is actually kind of top on the top i think in terms of interest from many projects and companies in Asia. So, so you know, it's, it's a really learning process for me as well, kind of um, tapping that entire market of understanding what's going on. But, you know, hopefully I could be helpful to anyone who really wants to understand Asia, including obviously Binance. And I do agree with you. Binance is one of them, is, is the largest and most global teams I've met. And, you know, you guys are so savvy going to Latin America, going to Africa, and really just reaching out to the folks uh, around the world and, and kind of sharing what uh, your platform and what Binance believes. So I really respect that. And I, and I obviously want to support more and more. And, you know, if you look at a lot of our news, actually, we cover a lot of Binance because just because Binance is everywhere around the world. So, you know, there's always like five news articles coming out about Binance in, in various continents. And, and you, it, it's very clear. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to pitch our pink care token 
right now. I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's, it's trending on Twitter. That's, I want to get it trending on Twitter. <laughs> have you seen it? You have, yes, I have seen it. You, you got to make the, the pose. You got to do the flower snap. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, so so just for people who don't know, we've the Binance Charity Foundation has launched a stable coin essentially. That's uh, it's a charity token, uh, where you donate by buying the token. That token will be ended up in the hand of end user, and the the mission behind it is to fund a million girls with sanitary napkins or sanitary pads in Africa. The token itself is called the Pink Care Token, and uh, and yeah, and then we have about thirty different companies within our industry uh, who are supporting it and raising awareness to an issue that um, I think a lot of people in the developer world don't really think about. So anyhow, no, the, we'll get to the second part of our discussion, which is uh, the Asia Blockchain Summit. You were there. I'm sure you, you have a ton of content. I've been getting nonstop updates from your newsletter about it. Um, you want to you walk it over? Like what are some of the like, top things that you, that, that some of the top takeaways, some of the top events uh, or announcements that you saw from that conference? Yes, for sure. So, so I think in the last you know, in the last few months, we've seen the markets kind of picking back up again. And, and this has been one of the most interesting conferences I think I've been in Asia thus far this year, given that, you know, we're seeing lots of people coming from different countries in Korea, Japan, China, and also from the North Americas kind of want to, wanting to learn about, you know, what is actually finally driving this market. You know, as global as a platform from Global Point Research, we obviously want to bridge more gaps and have more folks understand what's going on in Asia. And I think this was one of those few conferences where you really see, you know, folks on stage from Japan, China, all together, you know, speaking and sharing information. So I thought that was really wonderful and really wonderfully organized by government teams, as well as the organizer, Andrew Five Orfe uh, from Obito and, and Block Tempo, the media company based out of Taiwan. I think that some of the highlights were, you know, of course, the Noriel, and, and Arthur's debate, which was off the record. And, you know, I could definitely share some glimpse of it. I interviewed Arthur right immediately after that, that debate. And, you know, he, he, he as a person has such a good attitude. And, and Noriel, I never really, you know, seen him besides outside of, you know, his tweets. And, and honestly, he sounds as condescending as his tweets. You know, some people don't really appear the same when they're on Twitter versus when they're in person. I think that event is probably definitely the highlight within the crypto world last week. <laughs> so first question, who won? Definitely Arthur. You know, I think just, I know him as a person. And I also, also as- Take your crypto hat off, take your Bitcoin bull hat off. Who won? Definitely <laughs> Arthur. I mean, just from the way he delivered his conversation and talk and the way he addressed his points and, and how, you know, how poised he is about the industry. He, he, it's not personal at all, and I, you could just tell that he's actually there for the long run. Um, and Honorio, on the other hand, you know, like after the conference, people wanted to talk to him about, you know, his thoughts. He didn't want to talk to anyone. He just literally sat on the side and wanted to ignore everyone and just really, you know, we seemed really miserable to be there. And, you know, honestly, I, I, we don't need to have more actors like them in this space. And, you know, no, no, no nothing nothing personal there but at the same time you know from the way he's delivered his messages and arguments um a quick summary about the about, about the, the the debate you know i think what norio has mentioned and argued for is that you know he says that cryptocurrency space has no security no scalability in the blockchain adoption and, and the current you know technology developments that we are in right now and there's no privacy and so he's like why the hell do we need this this is just currently what we're seeing is just a lot of retail markets getting scammed and lots of shitcoins get listed. 
and he used the word shit at least 10 times. And honestly, once you see the videos coming out, you could count on your fingers. And, but at the same time, you know, he, he, no, he didn't make the argument for why, you know, why the space is currently the way it is. Given someone who's an economist, you assume, you know, there will be more thoughtful kind of thinking around um, these claims. But, you know, he was literally just attacking and calling the space full of shit coins, full of scams, and, and not kind of taking any of the conversation further, making it productive. So that's what I really found it to be kind of disappointing there. But Arthur, on the other hand, was really trying to emphasize that, you know, why do we encourage cryptocurrencies? We want to have another choice, right? There are folks who are looking to take money out when the government's on monitoring them, but they have no way to kind of go about doing so. And and then, and then they have um, no freedom to do so. The, the matter of, of the fact is that the choice is the emphasis that we want to provide for folks when they decide to, you know, choose either to use fiat or use Bitcoin or use Bcash. And, and that's something I kind of fully respect. And I think really kind of drew and spoke to the ethos of the space as well, right? And even though everyone is working or, you know, for example, the exchanges are, are there to, you know, primarily to profit off of lots of trades, which, you know, what this is what traditional exchanges do as well. But at the same time, you know, folks like finance, the BIMEX are actually there to try to lift the space and really be inclusive of all different types of folks and, and communities there. What, what are some of the key points that Arthur made? The, all the swearing aside, because <laughs> I read some summary reports. It just seemed like there was a lot of swearing. Oh, yeah, there was so much swearing. It was just, it was very comedic, to be honest. I think, you know, it's definitely a worthwhile video to watch. Um, you know, over drinks. It was a 9 a.m. today, and you know, I, I think it got everyone's blood hyped up because of how how fun it was to watch. Actually, so I think Arthur's points was that his his main point was that you know you cannot just look at the current you know market that we're in now. You know, there are a lot of bitcoins. Well, of course, there are a lot of bad actors. You know, we're in a decentralized type of space where it may very likely draw in a lot of bad actors in the beginning. It's very hard to regulate because of the fact that it's decentralized. But at the same time, we're seeing great actors as well. You know, there are a lot of projects and, and, and what the ultimate purpose of Bitcoin is to help folks to navigate through, you know, this period now that we're going through, which is under increasing uh, technology scrutiny and, and monitoring from the regulators all around the world. Right. Um, that, that's something I think is very vividly true that we, and, and kind of happening globally um, with kind of Facebook coming out with another token, as well as, you know, WeChat and, and, and Alipay, of course, kind of an ongoing basis, increasing their presence in Asia as well as the rest of the world. OK, so that was probably the, the, the headline event. What are some of the other things that you saw that grabbed your attention? Oh, so Binance announced that they were doing 20x leverage. That's very exciting. That was one of the announcements that CZ has made. And some of the other trends that I've been seeing, I think, you know, given that we kind of look at and talk to projects in the West as well as in the East, uh, we're seeing a lot of developments happening in very local jurisdictions that are really interesting and very kind of kind of folks creating their own flavors of different chains and kind of tools to cater to those chains. So I'm going to give you an example for Korea we are seeing technology platforms trying to push forward this gaming narrative. You know, gaming is a very big uh, trend in on crypto gaming specifically in Japan and in Korea. And while, you know, the Korean folks are looking to build a lot of gaming um, apps on top of the blockchains, they realize that, oh, the blockchains are not scalable enough. No, they're not uh, 
fast enough, um, how can we actually resolve that? So they started building their own tools around those things, right? So I think that's super interesting because you know that that they are really you know focusing on looking to build adoption and and interesting stuff. Um, while you know in the in the west side, what you know we are seeing a lot of you know still centralized finance trends and and people trying to draw more liquidity into these platforms. While you know the, the kind of the large platforms are still building as part of their focus right now. And and so that I think there's a huge divergence between kind of west and east. Um, and that's that's something that is super interesting to see. Yeah, I, I think for CZ, for the he was one of the keynote speakers there. I think he walked through sort of uh, Binance's uh, success case or success story as as an ICO. Because for us, we're coming on our two year anniversary next week. I think it's it's hard to believe that we've only been around for two years after we did our ICO. I think in July of two thousand and seventeen. And, and now we're joining, joining the fray in the process or planning to deliver a futures product to the industry. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, you guys have moved so quickly. I asked some of the trading firms and kind of partners of you know, many of the exchanges and I asked them, you know, who are the best executed exchanges? And, you know, they say, obviously, Binance and Bifinex. And, you know, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. I've been following Binance since the beginning. And obviously, CZ has been a great brand ambassador and the team that he's built around him, you know, including you, has obviously been really hustling and just focusing on growth and coming up with new products. And, you know, I, I didn't know you were hosting a podcast before you asked me to get on the podcast. And now I know that you're wearing many hats as well. <laughs> we got, uh, this is our 10th episode that we're doing. We, we try things. We start small. We try, if it works, keep it going and then invest more resources into it. I think uh, because we're a very decentralized organization, and then everybody in their role have a lot of flexibility and freedom to basically try things out. And then if it works, then you go and ask for more resources. And if it doesn't work, you just sort of like hit reset and try it again or try something else. Yeah, I love that scrappiness. So, so I think it's one big sort of organization, but we're very nimble in terms of trying out things. Because I think this industry moves so fast. And all the other businesses that I've been, anytime you come out with a business plan, like in this industry, like three months later, like that businessman is out the window <laughs> because because of what, because whatever technology you're using, whatever blockchain you're thinking of doing, it, it, it's already changed. So the only way yeah. to stay in the game yeah. is by keep doing it, is by keep doing things. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think you know, in the cryptocurrency space, I encourage everyone to do that because, you know, you just you're, you're targeting a global audience. You don't really know what will stick with the wall on the wall, you know, so you got to throw them. 20 things at it and five things stick and maybe five other things stick a year later. And then you just keep trying and you got to keep doing all these things because you never know what markets start picking up. You never know, you know how much revenue these markets would generate because they are all just so many untapped potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, and I think one of the unique things about Binance and also, also a lot about BitMEX, you have very, very, um, uh, what's the word? Charismatic leaders. Who uh who drive who really drive not just the organization that they lead but also um you know drive the industry, uh and, and bring that out there. I was really excited to see like you know CZ and Arthur sort of overlapping in uh in Taiwan, uh for this conference because I think um that's a that's a really big draw, for uh for for the for the for, yeah. the, for the conference goers, and thousands and thousands and not thousands but definitely, hundreds of selfies. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, because both of them are very, both are very photogenic people. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You got it. You guys need to set up like a Madame Tussaud kind of the wax museum 
for crypto figures. And that would do really well as a business, <laughs> you, know? you know? Selfies with CZ 24 seven. That's amazing, right? Yeah, anything else you wanna talk about from the conference? Like, I wanna know about the after parties because <laughs> Tai Taipei is a fun city. Oh yeah, I, I, I've heard so much about Taipei before, but I actually never been. And, you know, being able to participate in BitMEX's 10K party was definitely uh, very eye-opening. He flew in a DJ, so Arthur flew in a DJ because he didn't think any of the where did, where where tell me about where was it? What, what was the venue? The venue was taking place at is it a cl- like a club or a lounge? It's a club or, or like a oh, like so, a club. yeah. So we did a dinner, yeah. So 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 Bitmax hosted a dinner, a smaller dinner at Mew, which is kind of a two Michelin star restaurant, which is wonderful, of course. And we all kind of got paraded to, to, to the club and, you know, apologies. I, I don't remember the club on top of my mind and it's not because I drink too much. I promise you. Uh, but he flew in this, this, this really great DJ and techno DJ and, you know, and the DJ was, and then we went in the club, there were screens, uh, screens of, you know, Bitmax logos everywhere. And the DJ was just like, you know, kind of, inserting bitmax he left and right whenever he's kind of um, making announcements and then and, and kind of some of the music um music sounds so that was really cool and you know of course um I, I felt very privileged to be able to get invited to the backstage and their vip section where it was quite fun to see you know cz and also Arthur and some of the other industry leaders of course all getting together in a very casual manner and just really enjoying themselves mm-hmm. Yeah, it's because it's quite stressful. It's a, it's an extremely stressful industry. So I, I'm sure I'm sure these guys take 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 uh, really enjoy these moments to sort of like to huddle up and uh, and have a couple of drinks. Yeah, no, I think one thing that's very differentiated in Asia is that everyone knows how to fun. You know, if you go go to the west side, west coast or the North Americas, you know, in New York there's some you know finance folks that you know you know likes to party, but in the west coast. Folks, you know, it's mostly happy hour driven. There are not many clubs in San Francisco specifically. And I think that's kind of leads to a lot of, uh, you know, not having that many parties. But at the same time, of course, in Asia, you have places like Hong Kong, Taipei, Singapore, all places of large party venues, right? So you you, you got to have it as part of your, your event. <laughs> No, and uh, and there's no, uh, what is it? There's no closure at midnight or 2 a.m. They go on until really late. Oh yes, yes, you know this very well. One of the one of the beauties I think of uh, of going out in Asia, you can show up really late. Like for me, I have a family. I can I can put them all to sleep. Everybody's happy, and then I can still go out. <laughs> I have and and then, and then sacrifice about three or four hours of sleep. But then I still sort of like you know I don't feel guilty. <laughs> yeah, no FOMO there. So you can do everything. You can work, have a family, and also party at the same time. I totally agree. I mean, lifestyle is all that. I feel like everyone just gives up sleep. To have a really fun life, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think that that that, that drives you to, to sort of run harder. Um, I think it, it keeps you, it keeps sort of keeps you on the keeps uh, keeps that edge. I think, which I think is really really important to have in uh, in this industry. Yeah, for um, sure. And, yeah, anything else before I open it up for questions uh, from you? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, um, where, which clubs do you go to? That's the one I'm going to want to know. <laughs> I, I retired. I, I retired. So. <laughs> So, so in, in Taipei, I know there's a, uh, you know, at least, you know, five or six years ago, there's a club called, I think, Electra and Mist were pretty popular. I've been there. And then I think Hong Kong 
in Hong Kong, I think Dragon Eye has been a legend. Dragon Eye, that, that place opened uh, in, in, when I was still an analyst uh, at Goldman in Hong Kong. And then, uh, and then definitely later Volar. But Hong Kong's venues are too small. That's the problem. Um, and then in Korea, uh, I think Arena, they have these like mega clubs, like four floors that go on until like 10 a.m. Uh, Tokyo, less so. In China, or is in China, I think Shanghai is still, uh, Shanghai and Beijing are probably the two best cities to go out. But I think there's a lot more lounges yeah. um, that's opening up. It's sort of like, because once you get to my age, you start sort of like less, like, like I can't, there's only about 30, I can, I can take about 30 minutes to an hour of techno music because of, before my head starts to hurt and my ears are going numb. So, uh, so um, I stick to more like sort of like more casual lounges because then you can actually talk to people. It's really hard to have conversations at bigger venues. But, yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, 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 but yeah. Taipei is definitely uh, one of the more, uh, uh, definitely top, top three party city in Asia. So uh, a great place to, yeah, I think a great, sure. a great place to have a conference. Good food, good and cheap as well. Like the food there is really good, really authentic and, uh, and really cheap. Um, the street stalls there are awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When is the next Binance conference? We're hoping to do something uh, near the end of this year. And, uh, and we'll give everybody at least like a three to four months notice. But because um, the we won't the, the last conference we had was in Singapore in January uh, of this year, and uh, yeah. but but that was in the, yeah. the, the the dead crypto winter, so uh, and then we try to be as le- as uplifting as we can, <laughs> and, uh, and, to, and 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 you know it kind of, it worked. I think I think for people to get together and talk about real issues and building real things, I think that was sort of the the gist or, or the theme of the conference back then. But I think now a lot of the speculative fever is back um, with Bitcoin price, you know, ho- uh, hovering comfortably at above 10,000 now. So uh, and then also sort of Binance hitting, you know, like our, on our top day, we hit five billion dollars in volume for spot trading. So, <laughs> um, I mean, wow. which, which is amazing. Yeah. So I'll open it up for you. Any questions? What's going on? Hit me. No, I'm just curious. What do you think are the, some of the underrated kind of under the radar countries? that folks haven't been paying attention to, but are very active, you know, very promising for exchanges as well, kind of projects to go to. Uh, one of the countries that I've been not spending the time, but sort of ta- uh, have, have been learning about it. I'm actually very pleasantly surprised by Australia. Uh, Australia has a very advanced crypto regulations. They have very, good regulations on crowdfunding. So that, I think, taking that and mixing that with sort of the, the crypto AML rules. So sort of like it, there, there needs to be a mix down the road in terms of banking laws and security laws. That I think that's sort of the crossroads. And I think, in the, and also um, derivative laws. I think that's sort of the three crossroads. And then for banking laws, it's primarily focused there on anti-money laundering and counter-financing of ter- counter-terrorism financing. On security laws, it's mainly you know disclosure and enforcement actions um, based on sort of the issuance of securities and and also qualification of the investors, and then on derivatives is basically how do you conduct a fair marketplace and then how do you prevent manipulation. I think I think there needs to be a sort of some kind of you know mix of those three, and, and one of, and one of the countries or not just the countries but actually. Um, general jurisdictions that's kind of interesting is are actually uh, Commonwealth countries. These are all sort of former British colonies that all share the, the, the they all use, first of all, they all use the English language. And second of all, they're, the legal framework are all based on common law. 
that's about 40 to 50 countries around the world that sort of sits under this Commonwealth system. And, there, and I think if there is some kind of portability amongst these 40 or 50 countries into a one standardized system, you got that, that would create like the regulatory FOMO effect to get other countries to sign in to that framework. And then you have portability in terms of cryptocurrency laws. I think that's the, the most important thing, which is portability. Because one of the biggest challenges for, for me and, and what I do is like every country's law is different. Um, so anytime you actually land and start building the regulatory business, you have to start all over again because the, the laws are completely different. You know, it's like a 30 minute train ride and all of a sudden your laws have changed. <laughs> you hop on a plane, you take a nap for two hours, you land, and then all of a sudden the laws are different. Whereas everything else is constant, right? Technology is constant, blockchain is constant, Bitcoin is constant, right? Binance is constant. But the laws is changed just because you traveled from one place to another. And that makes how you operate and how the users or how the people in that country operate you know, completely different and face different consequences in terms of what they do. Um, so, so I think with portability or common, a common system would we'll we'll go a long way. Yeah, I'm really curious. What, what do you think will happen in the next few years between uh, you know, Asia and, 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 and kind of the rest of the, the world in, in this development? Uh, like in our industry, I mean, we're not, what is it? Like, uh, in this industry, I like, I like, uh, like there's two things, right? There's, uh, it it is one industry where you do have to work really, really, really hard. (laughs) So I think it's just whoever works harder is going to get ahead more. (laughs) And whoever sees farther ahead instead of looking behind is going to get ahead more. And, and because, because this is one industry where, um, or, or one group that's growing, you know, it's not stopped, hasn't stopped growing, right, in terms of number of people um, who are into crypto and into blockchain and believe in sort of like this fundamental difference that you can make in working in this industry. And I don't see that momentum stopping anytime soon. And then it's just a numbers game. And Asia just has more people. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I, honestly, I, I, I told this to a group of Europeans at the Dcash conference last weekend when I was giving a presentation about helping folks understand what's going on in Asia. And then I told them, you know, the Chinese community has the largest number of people in crypto and also the most geographically diverse. So you really have to go understand it and really, you know, there's, there's no way to go around it. And, you know, and it'll really be more helpful if you try to engage with them and try to understand them. And, and, and it'll be super helpful in navigating Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually see a lot of opportunity in Europe as well, um, just because the talent base is extremely strong, and uh, and and Euro has negative interest rate. Like 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 in our business, like if we keep our money in the bank in euros, the bank would actually take money from my account every month because of negative interest rate. Yeah, that that's terrible. <laughs> I don't know what kind of like policies like put in motion that that have this and it's been in place for for i don't know like for five or six years now this negative interest rate environment that currently exists um in the eurozone and and i I just think that'll just drive people more like it's just sort of how do you lower the threshold for them to enter into crypto it's like the bank's not only not giving you interest on your on your money but is actually taking like is negative interest rate it's gonna deduct two percent or one percent from your bank account every month 
Yeah, so, so so I'm curious, do you think, for example, like Europe has more potential for crypto adoption or at least in the higher or, or faster in adoption speed potential than in third world countries like Africa or, or in Latin America? The short term answer, the, the, the quick answer is yes, I do believe so. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, because of launching our, our business in Europe, I've been going to several conferences in Europe, in Europe the last six months. In, uh, in Paris, in Amsterdam, and in Malta, and I've done sort of meetups and engaged with you know, the Binance community there. And I think the interest is extremely high. I, I just think that you just, the, and, and the energy is really good, but I do think, you know what's sort of holding Europe back a little bit on this is actually language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They all speak their own nat- native language. And whereas the standard mm-hmm. language for the crypto industry is English. <laughs> The second language for crypto is just Chinese from an influence level, yeah, yeah. right? From, from just, a lef, just from a level of right. influence, right. Right. right? And I think there's lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding just because some of the stuff just gets lost in, uh, in translation. That, I mean, that being said, you know, fundamentally, English is the common language that, that within Europe as well. And I think you know, France is co- coming out with pretty supportive laws uh, for ICOs. Obviously, Malta has been you know, a leader from a regulatory perspective in this industry by far. And those are both um, European Union countries. Uh, and, and I think um, whenever the Brexit thing shakes out, I think UK is going to jump into the fray because they don't want to lose their fintech leadership position in Europe as well. So yeah, so I'm, I'm actually quite bullish on Europe. Yeah, that's super cool. I think we should start expanding to Europe as well for global coins since that, you know, which we want to preach and you know, kind of focus on the, in the, not just in Asia eventually, but also the rest of the world. Um, and, and my last question is, you know, for what should we be excited about in the next few months from Binance? You know, I know you guys are working on a lot of different things. What can we expect from the product side as well kind of as in like geographic expansion? Um, I mean, like, like I think geographical expansion is something that um, CZ has talked about at least since I've joined the company in terms of, you know, landing fiat businesses in every single continent. I think that's something that's been in motion um, for a while. But I think uh, some of the things that I'm actually really excited about is actually how does Binance help to sort of grow the total addressable market for cryptocurrency? Like, for example, what we're doing with uh, with the DEX and with Trust Wallet. I'm not sure if, if you use Trust Wallet or not, but I think it's probably one of the best if not the best sort of decentralized wallet in crypto right now. And it's enabled that you can use the wallet to trade the DEX directly. So you have your own custody. You don't have to store your currency or store your, your assets within a third party. Uh, and I think that's, that's sort of the next iteration. I think, I think you know, maybe not, maybe not a few years, but you know, at least in three to five years, I think that type of product will be key. Um, I think in terms of driving innovation industries, that, that's sort of number one. The second one, uh, I think just general more things to do to get adoption. Like for example, uh, you know, I don't want to promote our, our own businesses, but we actually invested in a company in Australia called Travel by Bit, where uh, you can book travel in crypto. They want to build blockchains Expedia, but what you can also do is uh, you can actually earn rewards in crypto when you book travel there in fiat. You know how like different things give you different rebates on things and then you get airline miles or hotel points? What if, what if you get Bitcoin or BNB in return for those things? And I think that's something that they're trying to get because then you basically get Bitcoin into people's pockets more directly when they spend fiat. That, I think that'll be really cool. So I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing how they can uh, you know, grow that business. Yeah, is that the, uh, the stablecoin pegged 
uh, Bitcoin pegged stablecoin that was announced recently? Uh, no, no. The, so the Bitcoin pegged stablecoin, that's just, uh, I think like BTCB, that's, that's just a DEX product. That's a pretty simple one. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to being Binance launching a stablecoin because then everyone would want to use it. <laughs> it's, yeah, be patient. <laughs> no comment there. No comment. Okay, great. <laughs> gotcha. No comment there. Cool. I got to run. So thanks, Joyce. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the caller. No, thank, you. thank you very much to, uh, to Joyce Yang from uh, Global Coin Research to have this really awesome chat about everything from what they do to the Asia Blockchain Summit, uh, the rumble in Taipei between Rubini and, uh, and Oscar Hayes, and then also the clubbing scene in Asia, and then giving everyone a little bit more detail about what's been going on at Binance. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Binance Podcast, and we look forward to seeing you soon.